It's not calling you Josh Frydenberg, it's calling you Dosh Frydenberg. Under the coalition, taxes for hard-working Australians will always be lower. Well, g'day and welcome, listeners, to The Two Jacks. It's our 24th combination episode where we go around the world and uh, and then concentrate on matters Australian and joining me as usual is uh, Hong Kong Jack. G'day mate, how are you? How was your oh, Easter? Excellent. Easter was excellent. I actually watched Q&A last night for, uh, for, for the first time for a while because Andrew Neil was on it. It was much better for having him there. I uh, avoided like the plague. Um I did watch the Four Corners for the first time in a long time because that was of interest to me. Some uh, some uh, some good reporting there on uh, some uh, ugly sort of business around J-pop and uh, the the main protagonist in J-pop, Jack. Uh, there've been some very very serious allegations met about him and male child sex offending. Good show, uh, well worth a listen. So a good independent journalist driving that, and over Easter. Uh, Jack, I was uh, in central New South Wales, uh, stayed in Orange, and uh, and a big hello to everyone at the Telegraph Hotel in Molong, who put up with us late into the night um, on the Saturday night, Easter Saturday. Uh, Molong has been absolutely belted by floods um, and, uh, and is just recovering now. Uh, a lot of the shops closed because they were flooded out. Um, but uh, the Telegraph Hotel and the Freemasons on the corner, they were both open, which is great to see, and uh, we had a lovely time there. Um, I wrote a piece on uh, on Good Friday, Jack. Uh, you've obviously read it because it's in your notes, um, and that was a, a bit of a family story about uh, religious belief and uh, religious freedom, I suppose, that my father had, uh, was a very devout Catholic, but he didn't impose... Uh, his belief beliefs on uh, on on his on his two children, um, which is kind of uh, uh, I find it even more remarkable as we go. Yeah, well, I, I'm s- still a sort of a Catholic, and I've done the same thing with my kids. Uh, I just let them make up their own mind. Um, I actually darkened the door of the cathedral uh, on uh, on Saturday on Sunday uh, for for. For, for Easter Mass, and clad as I always am in my customary black, um, a, a rather dotty American um, came up to me. Um, uh, he's sort of a sort of an ageing hippie ponytail, the whole thing. Um, and he came up to me, and I did my usual Aussie thing, stuck out my hand, you know, about to say Jack Hoisted, and um, he grabbed my hand and kissed me on the hand. Um, nice. uh, and... Uh, um, uh, because he said, look, they told me there was a, a bishop here. And I said, well, not only am I not a bishop, <laughs> um, uh, um, uh, I'm not a priest and I'm quite possibly the worst Catholic in Hong Kong, but <laughs> it's nice to meet you. Uh, I think it's purple on Easter Sunday, isn't it? It probably is, yes. Yeah. He, okay. he, I, say, I say he's slightly dotty. Anyway, he went, he, went, he, he, <clears throat> he went home quite happy and, um, and I was quite amused. Uh, yes, uh, some people are very strange around religious practice, Jack. Uh, and look, uh, you can uh, get my column. Um, it's an excellent uh, it's column, by the way. Recent, 
Um, uh, yeah, my father was a rather extraordinary person because he grew up in that time, Jack, that uh, we, we sort of emerged from uh, relatively unscarred at time of sort of stultifying sectarianism in Australia where pretty much the circumstances of your birth determine where you'd go to school, who you'd knock around with, who you'd probably marry in many cases. And um, and uh, to, ha- to have uh, my father uh, not seek to impose that um, on on his kids was uh, a pretty far-sighted sort of thing. Um, and, uh, and I find it even more remarkable as the years go by. Yeah, well, his his father, our grandfather, was a, was a convert, of course. He was a convert. Yeah, yeah that was. And, a... and, and as we often say about converts, they're more Catholic than the Pope. Uh, <laughs> I think I think our grandmother played him on a break day. Yeah. She was a very very faithful woman, but also a very strong woman. I mean, I, I don't want to break into the family history too much, but uh, my father was mercilessly belted by the nuns at uh, mm. Wodonga High School and. Uh, our grandmother popped on the good hat and uh, went down to uh, reproach the priest and um, uh, and uh, get stuck into him and the nuns about what they'd done, and that uh, led ultimately to uh, your father and uh, and uh, and a couple of uh, and a couple of their uncles and aunts contributing to uh, my father's education at Assumption College, Kilmore. Yeah, well, um, uh, our grandmother had had a bit of standing um, in the church. Her sister was um, uh, was the head of the order of nuns who were running the particular she, school. She, yeah, she was a Carmelite nun, wasn't she? Yeah, 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 yeah. a Bridgetine nun, a Bridgetine nun. Uh, and, right. and going to see her in Beechworth um, uh, was always a delight. Um, you'd be taken into the nuns' parlour, the front parlour, um, and the and the highly polished table, and uh, uh, and she would be sitting there, and she would have the a transistor radio on um, listening to the races uh, because her brother Paddy was a butcher and SP bookmaker in Wangaratta and she had the phone beside her so she could uh, lay about every now and then. She could lay about, yeah. Uh, I do remember that room actually, and there was a harp in the corner, and that really yes, caught there was. my eye. Yeah. Uh, this, you don't see too many of them now. The, you don't uh, the, see too many of them then. The, the, the same building is, uh, I think, it, last time I was in Beechworth, which is a long time ago, um, it, it had already been turned into a, um, a sort of an air, not, not an Airbnb, but a, a kind of a uh, private well, hotel place where you could wedding stuff. reception yeah. centre, that sort of thing, yeah. with accommodation. Yeah. Uh, yes, all right. Well, that's enough of that's enough about us, Jack, and uh, our family. Uh, our strange family. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> our strange family. Well, when we're talking strange, Jack, there's nothing stranger than the Liberal Party. Um, just, just before we leave the strange family. The one thing that you did say, and the, and I noticed, I actually read the comments, which I really do on your on your columns, but this got a lot of applause in the in the comments, and it should. Tolerance is not the easy acceptance of those we agree with. If we are to be truly inclusive, then we must be accepting of people who hold different views to ours. Well done. Well, uh, lovely words. It's actually quite difficult to do that, isn't it, Jack? Particularly when there are groups around who seek to impose their beliefs on others and seek to impose sort of social practices on others. That's when it gets very, very tough. Um, But, uh, yes, uh, a a nice sentiment and thank you very much. But we're moving on to... uh, We'll uh, sink the slipper into the Liberal Party, Jack. Uh, I wrote about him uh, on on the Wednesday, actually, saying that... uh, 
Uh, there would be uh, should be no challenge for Peter Dutton in the wake of the disaster at Aston, the Aston by-election. Uh, and then on that same day, how little I know about the uh, about uh, the party, um, uh, they uh, uh, they turned their back on the voice. They've uh, they've sought to oppose the voice, which we'll talk about shortly. Um, uh, <coughs> they have got some profound problems, and I think the opposition to the um, uh, to the referendum will simply exacerbate the problems within the party, Jack. Uh, I see Jack Waterford in the, t- this morning's Pearls and Irritations. Um, he's urging Albo to call an election uh, to take advantage of their uh, of their of the uh, kick them while they're down. I think with the, yeah, with, yeah, the, yeah. with the tone be, of the colour might be a little bit premature if we remember Hawkey going to the people pretty quickly after his victory in '83 and all that came unstuck. unstuck. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> the only time Andrew Peacock had any sort of uh, following uh, within the uh, general electorate, uh, and that was just a, a, a real sense of, of people going, "Hey." We just voted, and we don't really want to vote again. So yeah. we'll give you a bit of a, a bit of punishment for that. Yeah, look, there should be no challenge for Dutton. He is probably their best politician, but I, I really don't know where they're going. Chris Mitchell, as as, as you pointed out in, in, my, in my notes here, Chris Mitchell did write a, a, a very good column. Um, uh, yesterday, uh, Easter Monday, uh, where he you know drew out some of these larger problems that the Liberals have um, in the top fifty seats uh, by female professionals. The Liberal Party holds only ten, where previously it held twenty five. The Liberals hold only a fifth of all capital city seats federally, yet it is in the capitals that most Australian seats lie. Um, uh, last year, the coalition lost nearly all its uh, inner metropolitan seats, six to Labor, five to the Teals and one to the Greens. So there are some really big problems there and they are what um, one might think partly down to a, an electoral cycle, but also I think they're more structural problems with the, with the Liberal Party. They're in more trouble than the early settlers, let's they be are. fair. And, yeah. and, and, yeah. and I think their opposition to the voice... I had, you know, it shows how little I know about the party room, I had presumed that they would allow a conscience vote or at least a conscience um, approach to their, uh, from their MPs, from their federal federal parliamentary MPs. Um, I had presumed wrongly, of course, because now they are opposing it. Uh, and, and that does take us on to uh, onto the, the voice. And, and I just want to re- quickly run through those people not in the parliamentary Liberal Party who 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 are um, stumping up uh, for the yes vote, and that includes the most senior um, most senior uh, 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 Liberal politician uh, in the country at the moment, which is Jeremy Rockliffe, who's a Tas Premier, who's who said that he will continue to vote yes. Uh, the WA Liberal leader Libby Metham, who will also be supporting the yes campaign. Uh, the opposition is led essentially in Western Australia by the Nationals. Uh, Shane Love is their leader there, and he supports a constitutionally enshrined Indigenous voice. Uh, in Mr Dutton's home state of Queensland, LNP leader D- David Crisofuli said he still had an open mind, and that's the view of the Victorian Liberal leader, John Pizzotto, and Nationals leader in Victoria, Peter Walsh, they have an open mind. Northern Territory Country Liberal Party leader 
Leah uh, Finocchioro, uh, I think that's right, said her party was not opposed to the voice but believes more detail needs to be given. We haven't heard from the New South Wales opposition, uh, South Australian opposition leader, uh, Liberal David Spears, um, uh, is, uh, is a supporter of the referendum. Uh, MP, uh, we might call her a maverick MP, Tasmanian uh, maverick MP, Bridget Archer, is one that said she will cross the floor. And uh, it, it, it's almost got a bit of a split sense about it, Jack. Uh, I can't believe yeah, that I, they can I don't actively that. campaign. I don't see it as a split. Um, uh, we'll definitely see how it plays out. But... Um, uh, I'm not as bullish on the voice as a lot of people are. I don't think it's going to win. Yeah, you've you've said that. You you, you made two weeks ago. Your, your impression is forty percent. I I I think it's more 60, 60 to forty at the moment. Um, uh, look the the. The thing that really caught me when Dutton spoke was uh, he made this uh, comment that Labor concentrates their efforts too much on capital cities rather than rural and remote areas. And he said, we, the Liberals, are the party of rural and regional Australia. And you think, gee whiz, Menzies would be just doing 360s in his grave if he heard that. I mean, Mm. the, the, the the Liberal Party is the party of the suburbs. So... It, it, it was an astonishing thing. It was a, it really was uh, saying, "Look, we, we're basically going to forsake the cities." Um, it, it really just struck me as incredibly dumb. Uh, and um, and if they think they're going to succeed and win elections by winning <laughs> seats, essentially, off. Uh, uh, off the National Party. The National Party is the party of rural and regional Australia, by the way, um, not the Liberal Party. Where are they going to win? Are they going to win seats in Geelong? Are they going to win seats in Newcastle? Are they going to win seats in the Gold Coast? They hold one in the Gold Coast. They've got a couple in the Central Coast. I, 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 I just thought this was some of the some of the dumbest stuff I've heard. Well, I think they're a bit lost at the moment, but, that, but Dutton, Dutton's a fairly good politician. He'll find his way again. Well, not if they give up the cities, mate. And and if they're giving up the cities on the voice, uh, then they can't win. Um, um, they, 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 they really just can't win that. And and the, the loss, and then we'll get back to Chris Mitchell's, uh, Chris, Chris Mitchell's column now, um, who, who posed the question rhetorically, I suppose, um, how will the Liberal Party in Dutton look if the referendum succeeds? Oh, it'll damage them, but I don't, I don't think. I think that's not going to happen. Well, yeah, okay. Well, let's assume that they do lose. Oh, sorry that 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 the that the, that the referendum does um, does get a no vote. We'll go through the polling and stuff in a moment. I, I I don't see any upside either way for the Liberal Party, and I think this is. Um, uh, in my view, a a, a, a a long march, a long death march uh, that may well see the party just descend into a sort of cricket team in the federal parliament in the next federal election. I, I, believe, so- 50, I believe 55% of Liberal voters are opposed to the voice. So Dutton's, in, in a sense, locked into the position he is. Um, and that this is just going to have to play out. It does actually express a fair bit about, you know, it shows us a fair bit about the party room too. So there would probably be, you know, about 10 of the 50-odd in the party, in the federal party room. 
uh, who who are moderates and who do support the voice, and then so so in a sense he couldn't really do that. But 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 why wouldn't he offer you know a conscious vote? You 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 do you to to his to his parliamentary colleagues, Jack. Why wouldn't he do that? Oh, no idea what he's what he's thinking was. Um, I, I'm not I'm not um, privy to that. Um, I think he's just looking at looking at it. I suspect he's looking at it and saying, "Well, 55 percent of our voters are, are opposed to it. Um, we're putting up a counter proposal. We'll see how it pans. See how, see how it plays out." Yeah, oh, that 55 percent. By the way, that's not all supporters. There's National Party considerations there. There's also consideration from other uh, right wing parties. So we've also got a One Nation. Um, 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 uh, reflection in that fifty-five percent. You've got uh, uh, <coughs> you've got possibly UAP. I noticed uh, Big Clive stuck his bib in today uh, and has th- and, and and thought he might campaign uh, for the no vote, um, which I suggest would not be <laughs> would not be something that the no vote would welcome. Um, but uh, but he has got a fair bit of dough, um, but. Yeah, I would think that would be a, a retrograde step for the no vote. Anyway, let's get on to the news poll, which was published on Monday, with the libs uh, with the libs uh, saying that uh, they were opposed uh, before the before the libs announced their opposition to it. Um, on that news poll, the referendum gets up. Uh, I did notice uh, 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 Queensland was the only state uh, where. A uh, yes vote uh, uh, was uh, was the loser. Very close in Western Australia, um, Queensland forty nine percent, which is not your fifty, were in favour, and forty three percent were in the no camp. Um, and of course, that doesn't equal a hundred, Jack. Um, that only equals ninety two percent. So there's an eight percent don't know factor. Um, but I also think uh, the polling companies will uh, will not have much of a guide on just how many blank ballots, informals, etc., uh, are, uh, are put through. So Queensland still, and, and, still does have the majority, but not quite fifty percent. Fifty-one forty-nine in WA, and then you look at the other states, mate, and it's pretty strong. If you look, if you have a good look at the figures, um, the strongly in favour and the strongly against about twenty-five percent each. Um, uh, all the way through. Um, the, the, most of the people are, are partly in favour and partly against and undecided, and they're the people who are going to decide the referendum. And I think the support for the yes is soft. Yeah, but that's what Dutton said too last week. He said that there was some sort of soft uh, soft views. And we haven't really begun the campaign yet. No. And we've probably heard more from the no's than we have from the yeses. And I'd suggest to you, this is my thought anyway, this is why I think the, the yes vote will get up um, fairly significantly too. I, I don't see that third state. Firstly, I don't see that third state in opposition coming forward, even if you accept that WA goes no and it's not at the moment uh, and Queensland goes no, I can't see where that third state's coming from. Um, <coughs> and, and honestly, I think the, the majority will come through. And there will be, rather than the things we're about to talk about, Jack, the sort of the queries on... Uh, the constitutional elements that will be driven by sentiment, and that sentiment's yet to be seen. But it will involve people like Kathy Freeman, um, uh, some of uh, our indigenous uh, uh, footballers, uh, regardless of code, will be uh, will be coming forward to support this. 
Um, uh, we'll we'll see the the big concerts, the big feel good moments, the Peter Garretts, the Paul Kellys coming out. I, I think this will be driven largely by sentiment rather than um, uh, the, uh, uh, the, the the black letter law uh, uh, concerns. This is precisely what happened in 1999, the Republic election, um, and it lost. Well, it's not precisely because you had you had essentially two camps there in the in the uh, yes vote. There you had one supporting a. Uh, a direct election of, a, of an Australian president and the other one um, um, uh, 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 urging the, the, a parliament by a majority of two-thirds would, would, would elect or anoint or appoint uh, a, uh, a, a president. So uh, there, there are really no splits in this camp. What would the no vote, <coughs> just just delve yourself into the, into the advertising world, Jack, and how would the no vote go about prosecuting their case? I don't think the, the no vote has to prosecute a case. The onus is on the yes vote entirely. And the reason I think they're going to fail, the biggest single reason they're going to fail, is because of the way they're approaching it. They are telling people, if you don't support the yes vote, you are a bad person. Now, I think people That's will resent right. that. No, I, I, will, I don't I will res- that. People will resent that and vote no. I don't, I don't, I don't see that at all. I don't see that in any of the rhetoric coming forward. What I do see from the no people, including Warren Mundine, who I know well, uh, Warren is saying, "Oh, this will establish a, a new level of bureaucracy." I see things like this is a perfect constitution, so we shouldn't be messing with it. I think that if I was going to be writing their campaign for them, Jack, it would be of the of the if you don't understand it, don't vote for it type. Hmm. That's but, but, where but, but I think they don't hold go. the onus. They haven't got. To, they haven't got to win the vote. The yes people have got to win the vote. Well, no, because what we've seen with with this, with the polling so far, you might say that there's soft support, and it's probably true because we haven't seen detail. We haven't seen the big campaign yet. Um, but um, they really need to to. They're, they're coming from behind, Jack. That's, that's the point. So if they, they want to succeed, uh, they will need to make their case and, and that's what I think it'll be. That, that will be, if you don't understand it, don't vote for it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, well, they've got to make their case a lot less than the yes people do you know, because they really have to make a case of why are we doing this. When, it, when push comes to shove, when people are asked to change the constitution in Australia, they tend to say no uh, unless there is... There are overwhelmingly good reasons to say yes. And I don't think the yes case is making that out, and I think their approach is wrong. But well, there we but go. The, if I was running the, the yes camp, Jack, it's a simple matter of it's about time we had reconciliation with First Australians. And th- that, w- and that, would, that would get a majority view. The proposal as put, I don't think will. Um, <clears throat> that would be how I would be ab- be approaching that, and this is a, a, a pathway to reconciliation that has been recommended by uh, the most senior uh, Indigenous um, um, uh, protagonists, political protagonists in the country, with one or two exceptions. Mm. Um, and that, that's you, that's that's you, how I'd be doing that. Do you know, <laughs> in twenty as recently as twenty eighteen, the Labor Party position was. They were. If we won power, what we would do would be to legislate a form of the voice, get it up and going, and then take it to the um, uh, uh, then take it to a referendum once it was up and going. That was 
um, are pursued by Bill Shorten and Senator Pat Dodson. Um, uh, we're all in agreement with that. Um, and in the in the intervening five years, something's changed. But I just don't think that they can... They weren't confident then that they could get it up in one stage. And I think they were right then. Well, the recently departed Unipingu, I mean, I note the, uh, the, the conversation he had with Albanese, we know a little bit about that. The most... <coughs> the, the last conversation, telephone conversation he had with Albanese and Unipingu said at that stage, he goes, he said to uh, Albo... You, you did what you said you were going to do uh, and, uh, and 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 sort of praised him by, because Unipingu uh, was was fairly uh, fairly used to being told one thing by politicians and then uh, politicians delivering another so I think I, I, I mean I think Albanese um, um, uh, uh, I, I think he's got the politics right in terms of um, support for a, a, a a broad number of Indigenous people in Australia, and then I think the sentiment will be there too. But let's go through the detail. Let's go through it now. Um, uh, and uh, and you've got uh, well, you've got a, a, another proposal from Julian Lisa, who's the uh, uh, opposition. Well, by the way, uh, Ken Wyatt uh, uh, resigned from the Liberal Party uh, last week too. Jack, the former Indigenous Affairs Minister in the uh, Morrison. Uh, government. Um, he's resigned from the party as well in frustration. Uh, that's another big move too, I think. But Julian Lisa is the current opposition spokesperson for um, for Indigenous Affairs and he's made a proposal, Jack, to The Voice. He has. Um, to take out the second paragraph. Well, if we take out the second paragraph, let me just read it to you, readers. So, so chapter chapter nine, the recognition of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples. On 29, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander voice in recognition of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander uh, peoples as the first peoples of Australia says, there shall be a body to be called the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander voice. Item two, which Lisa would want to remove, the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander voice may make representations to the Parliament and the Executive Government of the Commonwealth on matters relating to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples. That's the one he would remove. And then we've got item three, the Parliament shall, subject to this constitution, have power to make laws with respect to matters relating to the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander voice, including its composition, function, powers and procedures. So that's the voice being set up in a legislative framework. But if you take out number two, you've got a voice that really doesn't have any power, Jack. Uh, It would would have the powers that the parliament granted and the High Court insists the parliament granted, which would still be substantial. But right. there's, okay. there's, there's two problems with the, the, with the voice, the, the, the current proposal, in my view. Um, first, that it gets its own chapter in the Constitution. Um, uh, the only bodies who have their own chapter in the Constitution are the executive, which is the Crown, um, the Parliament and the judicature, the courts, right, the High Court, yes. precisely. This would give the voice the same standing as those bodies... Um, and I think in time the court would come to uh, to view it as more or less the equal of parliament and then we go down a co-governance rule where Australia is being ruled by 95% of the people in a co-governance model with the other 5% of the people and I think that would be a disaster, personally. Um, uh, and the second problem is that 
the the reason, and I suspect the reason why Lisa wants to take out the the second uh, paragraph is that as it reads at the moment, paragraph three says the Parliament shall, subject to this constitution, have power to make laws regarding the voice, and that means that paragraph three is subject to paragraph two, um, and it means that. The, the High Court will have a, a busy time working out exactly what the Parliament can do, and if the Parliament seeks to restrict the operation of the voice, the High Court will overrule it. Um, so that would be um, a, a, a messy outcome as well. Well, that's a matter of opinion, isn't it? I mean, it is a matter. <laughs> it is a matter of opinion, and these things are untested. Because, because is, the most senior counsel in the, in the most senior jurist in the country, Brett Walker, says it's not a problem. Yeah, and that's and he, because and he's, he's that, had more appearances because, in the High Court than any any counsel yeah. in the country. And, and, and what the yes advocates in the in the legal profession are saying is that the High Court will read the explanatory mem- memorandum that goes with the legislation, um, uh, the the machinery legislation, um, and and will interpret the constitution in the light of that. And that's just not right. The High Court will look at an explanatory memorandum, a second reading speech on legislation because they're looking for what the will of the Parliament was and legislation is the will of the Parliament. A constitutional change is not the will of the Parliament. A constitutional change is the will of the people and the High Court will look at the wording in the Constitution. It it won't look at the explanatory memorandum in that situation. Well, I, I think the lease of function really. What, I mean, it, it may well have a peer. I see. I see you've got uh, <coughs> a, a um, uh, some some comments from Gray, Gray Connolly, tedious human being, uh, and, uh, and he is and indeed. He's a pompous son of a uh, son, son of a clown. Anyway, um, I won't get into any personal stuff there except for that. Um, but uh, but Connolly is saying. I mean, he is a can we say if we if we're talking about Brett Walker, he, he, <laughs> he's a long way from he's a long way from that uh, without wanting to be but, rude. But he's, he's a pretty good lawyer, that currently. I, I, I grant you. Well, that. A, he, he might be a pompous twit, but he's a pretty good lawyer. He's a he's a he's a barrister. I mean, I've, I've, I follow another number of other barristers who have different opinions, quite sharply different to Gray's. But that's the way the law works. The, the idea that removing item two. Um, uh, which is Julian Lisa's proposal, uh, <coughs> he says would have much a, a greater following from uh, from from Australians uh, and presumably from the coalition, um, well certainly from the Liberal Party, and that that would perhaps ease ease the referendum through. I think that's right. Um, if 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 they if I were trying to get a yes vote up what I would be doing would be sitting down with people who I disagreed with and try to find a, a, a way forward that I was sure that a majority of people would support. And that's what I think the vote are not doing at the moment. Um, did you see what uh, did you see, uh, Dan Andrews uh, said uh, once the Liberal Party position was announced? He said, no, imagine, imagine... Imagine uh, a group of white people telling telling Indigenous people what they need and want. And I thought that was a fair response. Now, Dan can do some head kicking on this and Elbow won't. Um, but, um, but I thought that was a reasonable response. 
Um, yeah. Um, look, look, that's good politics. I think when people come to vote, and this is why I think we'll lose, when people come to vote, they'll say, this is not a constitution designed for 5 or 10% of the population. This is our constitution, all of us, and we have to agree. And I don't think the yes vote are doing anywhere near enough work to make sure they've got a majority of all of the people, not just the Aboriginal people. Well, the question then comes, Jack, what do we say to Indigenous Australians if, we, if, if the no vote gets up, if the referendum is quashed? What would we say? What would we say to Noel Pearson? What would we say to Marcia Langton? In fact, Marcia's told us, in fact, I imagine that most Australians who are non-Indigenous, if we lose the referendum, will not be able to look me in the eye. How are they going to ever ask an Indigenous person, a traditional owner, for a welcome to country? We'll talk about that in a minute too. How are they ever going to be able to ask me to come and speak at their conference? If they have the temerity to do it, of course the answer is going to be no. Noel, on the other hand, said if yes gets up, he said, uh, uh, you won't hear much from me. I'll be, I'll be a happy chap. Um, but that's looking at the yes vote getting up. Um, uh, I, I don't know how you can proceed with Indigenous reconciliation in this country if a no vote gets up. Uh, that's, that's the big issue for me. I think it will do great damage to it. Reconciliation, which which is why it should be got right, and what's happening at the moment is not getting it right, in my view. All right, long way to go. Um, going to be very interesting to, to see how the campaigns roll out. In my opinion, um, I think there's a great deal of. I can simply tell you anecdotally a, a story told to me by a friend of mine who works for one of the big corporates in Australia, and one of their senior executives got up and spoke to staff, uh, all assembled in a Sydney, uh, in, in a large uh, Sydney uh, conference centre and said, uh, it is time that we did this, It is and received applause from everyone in the room. I think sentiment is on the side of the yes vote, and I think when we look at the composition of the no vote supporters, we're going to see a lot of old white men, Jack, just like you and me. Hmm. Yeah, uh, well, I, I can tell you anecdotally that I keep hearing from people in Australia who say, who, um, uh, as a friend put it, after a few jars, they'll actually tell you they don't like the idea, but until then, they are um, afraid of feeling, afraid of being portrayed as a bad person, so won't publicise their view on it. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. Um, which is which? That's precisely what happened with the polling in the Brexit and Trump elections. Is that people were underreporting their opposition, were underreporting their position because they didn't want to be seen as bad people. I think that's happening again here with the Voice. Yeah, we'll look at some more polling. That's not uh, well. Well, if we look, the, the, the news poll, of course, was done by um, uh, a telephone that tends to take out that sort of response, uh, the face-to-face polling of the uh, kind uh, that's done by Morgan uh, might be a little bit different. By the way, I have seen a poll in WA that's pretty much 60-40 in support. I still don't see where they're going to get their third state from, the, the no vote, that is. Yeah, that, yeah you said that. Well, you so, said that. That's right. All right. <coughs> um, uh, we, 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 we aren't in agreement about this, but I, I, I would like to see a voice get up. I just don't think they're going about it the right way. 
Yeah, I understand. I understand your position. Uh, I understand your position. I think sentiment is going to drive this uh, rather than a, um, a reflection on the complexities of con- constitutional law uh, and uh, the sort of lawyer, uh, the, the lawyerly approach, I think, uh, will get uh, sort of stampeded a bit. Um, self-censorship, Jack. Uh, well, we talk about these matters, Indigenous affairs matters. Um, a, a, a 60th birthday lunch, uh, uh, proceedings kicked off with a welcome to country. Yeah, some uh, some friends went to a a, a a a birthday lunch down in the Shire, the whitest part of Australia. I've got to say, right uh, uh, in the Sutherland Shire, in the southern suburbs of Sydney. Yes, um, and it was a, a, a at a bloke's private home. Uh, he's turning sixty, um, and they were absolutely gobsmacked because it, it was a sort of a a fairly informal lunch, but proceedings kicked off with a welcome to country. Um, and this is something I hear from a lot of people. They say, I'm sitting there and listening to this saying, this is bizarre. What are we doing? Why, I, why I understand this- it in the corporate world. I understand it in the government world. I, I just think those things now have become, have become established practice. But as for 60th birthdays in, in private homes... I'm not quite sure that that's that that's well, uh, as, what as, was intended. As, yeah, you know, as one of the one of one of the, the the pair said, "Here we are listening to this bloke. He's invited someone into his house to welcome him to the country, and it's in his house. You know, that's, that's quite odd. You know, yeah, indeed, uh, that is a bit strange. Um, uh, uh, but it certainly is right in, in, in the, the shy. Court. Wouldn't it be welcome to country? No Lebanese, please." Um, <laughs> Well, as I say, it is the widest part of the widest part of the country. Um, it, it's sort of bizarre, and um, certainly um, uh, uh, friends who are not Australians who go to Australia and do business, when they're sitting in the corporate world and a meeting starts with "Welcome to Country," they think that's really really weird as well. It's interesting. Um, at SBS, uh, and I think the ABC, but don't quote me on this, but, but the, 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 the SBS weather report now will look at um, uh, uh, basically tribal areas uh, and they'll, they'll do their forecasts about that. They'll still have – it's a sort of mix of, of, uh, of, of current cities and country towns and so forth when they cover the weather across the country, but uh, they're also uh, referring to – um, indigenous tribal lands as well. Um, it can get a little bit confusing for an old white black. Um, moving over but to the United States. Everyone tells me the same thing about it. They all just nod along and say, oh, yeah, that's great, that's great. But, that's, but underneath, they think this is very, very odd. It's the same sort of thing that's like happening with the voices, the self-censorship. Yeah, well, it, it, it's, as I say, I can understand in the corporate world, I can understand in the government world. I think these things can be overdone. If you uh, if you're at a seminar and, and and every day it opens, you do the you go through this um, process of welcome to country. Um, I, I think that's sort of overdoing it a little bit. We are dealing with um, uh, with people who are sort of uh, culturally sen- uh, sensitive, almost to a fault, and that might be a fault. It it, it always reminds me of the, the the prayer before school started every day. Yeah, yeah, none of us like that very much either. No. All right, so, so the United States, uh, Jack, uh, moving over there. Now, can a deeply unpopular president win re-election? And the answer is probably yes. Yeah. Uh, and uh, and we'll, we'll, we'll talk about the Trump travise shortly, 
But it seems to me very clearly to, I mean, I mean, we're not getting into conspiracies about why he's being, Trump's being prosecuted in, in New York. But it is, but the politics of it is very clear that they think Biden can do Trump. And they think that if the, 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 the prosecution in New York moves forward and it'll be subject to delays, and I think we're, we're looking at adjournment till, till December anyway, uh, when the primaries start getting underway, and then there'll be, you know, it, it'll drive all the way through the campaign. And they think under those circumstances, they can do Trump. They can, they can split him up, that, that, that uh, the Democrat voters won't have a bar of him and independent voters won't have a bar of him. And I think that's a commonly held view that that Trump can win a primary, but he can't win the presidency. I think that may well be true. This is despite the fact that only thirty two percent of of voters think um, uh, Joe Biden should run again. There should be should be a candidate, uh, and even even a, a, there's, there's not even a majority of Democrat voters who think that he should be the candidate. Um, uh, but well, have they suggested uh, anybody else? Because no, that's, really that's, no, no, no one else that's, is there. That's the trouble. The beach is the bench, as they call it in the United States. Uh, the bench for the Democrats is spectacularly weak. Um, so it's probably going to be Joe or nobody. But they think he can, despite being very unpopular himself, he's not as unpopular as Trump. So he can probably win a general election against him. Well, the rule of thumb is that if you if you win one presidential election, there are notable exceptions, including Donald Trump himself. But if you win one, you generally win two. Yes, uh, and and I think that's probably the thing that might keep him in in, in pretty good stead. Certainly, if he has Trump uh, for a, 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 a for an opponent. Um, uh, so we're talking about a new CNN poll. It says thirty two percent of the public think President. Uh, uh, Joe Biden should be re-elected, slightly better uh, for Biden when just registered voters are counted. It's always the difficulty with polling in the United States, but it's still pretty harsh. Uh, and and really, we don't have a, a one-on-one contest yet. But the poll, the poll revealed about the same ratio when pollsters asked people whether Biden inspires confidence. Thirty-five percent said yes while 65% said no. Now, I don't know too much about the methodology of that poll, but one thing you can say about Biden and Trump, for that matter, is everyone knows who they are, right? So there's there's not a lot of don't knows there. There's not a lot of, there's not a lot of shifts to be made. In terms of, uh, in terms of uh, how people think about these individual, uh, these individual candidates, um, uh, <laughs> put those numbers together with Joe Biden's approval rating, and that's forty two percent, which is Trumpian, right? It, 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 it it's uh, even uh, if we go back to uh, Barack Obama, he was sitting around the high forties, uh, mid uh, low fifties most of his second term. Um, and, uh, and, and, and so, yeah, Trump's stuff was in the, was in the low 40s and so is Joe Biden's. Uh, but look at another question, one that CNN asked of Democrats alone. Is there a specific person you'd like to see the Democratic Party nominate for president uh, or do you want to see some uh, in, in, in 2024 or do you just want to see someone besides Joe Biden? A huge majority had no one in mind. They just want someone besides Biden, and that is a huge advantage for the president. And, and that's because when they asked them about individual people, um, no one got more than 5%. Uh, 
Um, uh, Bernie Sanders, 5%. Pete Buttigieg, 4%. Kamala Harris and Michelle Obama, 3%. Um, Gavin Newsom with the fabulous hair. And Elizabeth Warren, 2%. Mm. Um, et cetera, et cetera. You know, so there is no it one. It goes who, on, doesn't it? Yeah. yeah. There is no one who's going to going to be able to um, uh, knock him off. In a no one's going to be able to primary him out of the race. Well, we we, we talk about it. And, and by, we, by the way, he he said yesterday that he's running. Yeah. He said last yeah. night that he's running. Oh, look, he's been hinting at it all the time, and um, it make him um, uh, well. He's eighty now. So he will have finished up his presidency at the ripe old age of 85, Jack. It uh, makes the, uh, uh, the the Politburo of uh, the old Soviet Union in 1972 look like spring chickens. Chenenko mm. <laughs> and what have you. Uh, very, very old uh, group there. Kamala Harris, we mock her with justification, but she's unelectable for a very simple reason, and that is because she is a Californian Democrat. And, and, and they just don't resonate with uh, in those states where um, where elections are won in the United States, and that's essentially the Midwest and, to a degree, the Southwest. Yeah, there, there are a whole lot of things that make Kamala Harris unelectable. A lot of them can be fixed, but the fact that she's from California can't be fixed. <laughs> she can't really do much about that. So, so w- w- what we're saying really is that the, the the nomination is Joe Biden's absolutely his his if he wants it. Yeah, yeah. There, yeah, there is nobody there who can take the nomination off. He, he, he the primaries would. I, I, the way I think of it now, looking forward over the next uh, you know, twelve months, is that is that he would run unopposed. Mm. That's what it looks like. But what if Biden faces Governor Ron DeSantis, who's yet to announce his intentions? But he is he is uh, he is got the hand out for a lot of donations. So there's a lot of money coming through uh, coming through his hands to promote a, a presidential campaign. Uh, and uh, the polling there in real clear politics, which is analysis or, or an, an analysis uh, or analytic analysis uh, of uh, the average of, of polls around the country, put uh, uh, Ron DeSantis two points above Biden. It's not a lot, though, is it? Um, uh, and, and, of course, DeSantis would have to win the Republican nomination, all while Trump is being... Persecuted, no, prosecuted, I should say, in uh, in New York. Um, well, 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 certainly the charges against Trump have given him a boost against DeSantis. Yeah, so, yeah. Um, I, and certainly, I don't think there's any conspiracy from the Democrats no, to bring no, the charges. Clear about Pers- that. Personally, I think the charges are being brought because they're good for the career of Alvin Bragg. Um, uh, you know. Well, they might be very, very bad for the career of Elvin Bragg. If, but that's not what if, he thinks. <laughs> if they don't get up. Oh, well, he must understand that this is a sort of winner. Well, not winner take all. If you if you lose this, if you fail with the prosecution, um, that's pretty much career done for uh, Oh, no, don't, don't believe that at all. Um, that's, why, that's why there's going to be no hearing until December. Um, he doesn't want the thing to go to trial. He just wants to be the person who brought the charges. All right. Okay. Interesting take. I would have thought Alvin Bragg, if he cannot get this prosecution to work, if he can't get a guilty verdict, uh, and that is going to take a long time, uh, I, I would imagine his career would be in tatters. Um, no, 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 he'll be he'll be the hero. He'll be the he'll be. I I promised I'd bring charges against him, and I did. I'm the hero. 
Yeah, but actually didn't. He didn't actually do that, though, Jack. I mean, he, he, Alan Bragg um, uh, disposed of a lot of the things that uh, Cyrus Vance was uh, was pursuing uh, and essentially said, all right, let, let's just um, uh, start again and look for where uh, look for where Trump may have, uh, and you, I know you disagree with his approach, but look, look for those areas where where Trump may have broken the law, and uh, increasingly this matter about the payments to not just to uh, the porn actress. Um, I can remember her real name rather than her. Uh, Stormy Daniels. Daniels. Yeah, Stormy Daniels. Um, it's Stephanie yeah. Clifford. Is a real name. Yeah. Um, um, the. Um- <laughs> Uh, if she chooses to identify as Stormy Daniels, she's Stormy Daniels. Keep up, Jack. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you're, not being, you're not being woke enough. Um, uh, he campaigned for election to the DA on the basis that he would get Donald Trump. And it's not just me who thinks that that's the wrong way to go about an investigation and prosecution. That's just conventional, um, uh, conventional legal theory that you're supposed to prosecute the crime, not the man. I, uh, I look at these charges and the reading that I've done, uh, the preferred reading if I try and find some sort of sense from this, because everything is so partisan, is to look at, um, is to look at people who are, are not disposed towards um, supporting Trump um, and they may well be Republicans, they may well be um, Rhinos that uh, re- Republicans in name only—that's the uh, the Trump uh, slur against them. But they would be Republican prosecutors uh, uh, with a history of Republicans with a history of uh, career histories of pro- prosecution, and uh, and what their opinions are, and and they tend to say that this is a fairly weak sort of matter. So that's where I've been doing my reading in, in terms of just trying to get some sort of objectivity on it. The kindest thing I've read about it is that it's a novel legal theory. I've been reading the same in, in the same area, um, and even even some Democrat people. It's hard to find a Democrat who thinks it's a good charge. Yeah, yeah, it does look. A anyway, bit, we'll see. We'll, we'll see how. It we'll see how it goes. Well, you know, they put Capone away for tax evasion. Mate. Didn't do it for all the murders he committed. <laughs> Maybe that's uh, what Elvin Bragg has in mind. But the pathway to uh, re-election for. Uh, for Joe Biden is fairly clear. Uh, the Democrat nomination is his, uh, and then uh, go on to beat Trump because Trump uh, Trump will be the leading figure within the Republican Party. So flip that around for me very quickly, Jack, and tell me what does the Republican Party do because they must understand the same uh, uh, the same forces are at work that Trump may well win the primary, but he can't win. It can't win an election. So are they on sort of death march themselves? No, that's the, the Republican uh, voters are going to determine the outcome of this election. Um, if they stick with Trump, um, uh, then I don't think Trump will will win a, a, a general election against Biden. No. Um, but if what does the Republican choose, Party do about that? If, if the, and the reason for that is, as you said on a number of occasions, is that um, he is so annoyed um, enough of the independents and Democrats that he, he can't hmm. get a majority. Um, and, but if they, if they choose, say, a DeSantis, then I think he would win an, a general election against Biden I tend because, to agree with you. So because, so, because so, he will be young, young, vigorous, and energetic, and Joe's increasingly past it. No, I, I agree with all of that. But what does the, if the, if this really is, let's say Trump's primary victory is locked in, and we're a long way from that. 
what does a Republican, what can the Republican Party do um, in order just to do, in order to avoid a sort of death march towards a presidential election that they will lose? Well, they'll just lose the election. That's all. Yeah, they might, might have him whacked, Jack. You know, they might <laughs> pass, pass the head around, have a bit of trip and fall accident. Didn't mean that. That's a bit silly. Uh, the um, Nicola Sturgeon matter. This is a huge story, Jack. In Scotland, Nicola Sturgeon recently announced her uh, retirement from politics after uh, being the uh, uh, Prime Minister of Scotland. I think that's the right term, not Premier. Uh, First Minister. First Minister. Thank you. And um, and, uh, and and she retired. And then, of course, uh, the Wallopers have been around knocking on the door looking for her husband over a small matter of several million dollars disappearing um, uh, with uh, with his hands on the till. £600,000, I think, is the, is the, is the missing 1. number. 2, yeah, about 1.2, 1.1, yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, and, and it's an extraordinary thing. Um, and look, it obviously will tie her up uh, in this, but she may not have no knowledge of it. I'm not suggesting she did, but uh, but the 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 close relationship you know, she obviously had with her husband is just not going to look very good. It's going to affect her legacy. But uh, uh, the, the way in which the raid is conducted would indicate that uh, that her husband Peter Murrell, isn't it? Uh, Peter Murrell. Yes. Uh, uh, they got him banged to rights, mate. Um, well, you never know with these investigations, but it was a very odd thing when she resigned because mm. she was in a bit of trouble over a couple of things, but they didn't – she's a formidable politician. She um, is, uh, Nicola, Sturgeon, Nicola Sturgeon. And I couldn't quite make out why she was resigning over things that she could just work her way through, but perhaps she knew this was coming. Oh, there's no, there's no doubt in my mind that she knew this was 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 coming. And you're right. You know, I, I reflected on why she was retiring, and and I'd came, to, I'd come to the conclusion that she just had enough. I mean, sometimes, as Paul Keating uh, said of his own prime ministership, sometimes you just run out of rocket fuel. And and uh, and I thought that was why she was leaving. But it, you know. Prima facie, or just on the circumstances here, it would indicate that she was aware that her husband was under investigation. Yeah, uh, it was very amusing the other day. The uh, the Wallopers were around there digging holes in the backyard, you know, <laughs> um, uh, um, uh, at, the, at, at, at the Murrell house, um, and uh, and some wag on Twitter said, "Is she on gardening leave?" <laughs> And some, someone else topped that and said, "Someone else topped that and said it's beginning to look like a, an episode of Midsummer Murders." You know, <laughs> <laughs> yes, um, uh, yes, uh, and, and, and reminded me for some strange reason of uh, Stevenson Street, Richmond, or now called Cremorne, where yes. uh, Dennis Allen's uh, Dennis Allen's various residences there were levelled to the ground and <laughs> dug up, <laughs> going down about two or three metres. Uh, they might have been looking for uh, uh, no no one suggested that Peter Murrell has been involved in many murder, but yeah, it, uh, it would did. seem they got him pretty much pretty much cold on the uh, on the embezzlement. Yeah, you got to admire the real estate agents. Uh, it was never Cremorne when we lived in Melbourne. It's a bit like Queens Park in Sydney that didn't didn't exist until about nineteen ninety three. You know, no. oh, Queens Park. Yes, it's uh, yeah. <laughs> well, Sydney does have smaller suburbs, but. Uh, my brother-in-law told me uh, he'd moved down to Melbourne from Sydney 
And he, I said, where are you living? He goes, Cremorne. I said, well, where the hell's that? <laughs> oh, he thought, he thought, he looked at me as if, like, you sure you're from Melbourne? Because, you know, Cremorne is Cremorne. And it's, it's just this hoity-toity part of Richmond <laughs> that a few developers have come up with. It, it, it does, I'm sure it doesn't have its own postcode. It's, it's, yeah, yeah. Well, I had the same experience when one of my nieces moved there, and I was, had, yeah, I had no. I had to look it up on the map. <laughs> it used to, and it used to be Stevenson Street. Stevenson Street runs straight through Cremorne, and and yeah. some of the some of the worst skullduggery known to man going on there with Dennis Allen and uh, the lovely Pettingill family that uh, uh, very quickly been forgotten. Uh, Jack um, uh, Renewables. Um, uh, what have you got from Bloomberg there? You've got uh, the world spent $1.1 trillion transitioning to clean power in 2022. Uh, uh, what was amusing with, to, to me about this is we're spending as much money on renewables as we are on, uh, uh, on, uh, on producing fossil fuels, and yet renewables make up um, a, a quite modest part of the world's energy consumption. Can I tell you the difference, Jack? Mm. You don't have to shovel... You don't have to shovel renewables into the furnace, mate. And, uh, the, the, that, that's why that's why they'll always be more cost effective. But go on. Well, I just I just think that's amazing that we're spending a hell of a lot of money on renewables to little effect. Well, this, and the other thing is, I mean, one point one trillion is no, um, it's no, nothing to sneeze at. That is a significant amount of money, and uh, and and with that significant amount of money, it will drive tech. It will drive technology. Uh, it will drive technology, perhaps. You know, well, it, it will certainly take it one way towards renewables um, uh, than it will on on the old fossil fuels. Mm. Well, that's what that's what the hope is, because they're going to have to come up with some kind of solution. At the moment, it won't work, so they're going to have to find some new technology. All right, and we'll stick with energy. Uh, um, <coughs> uh, Nigel Lawson, who who died this week. Uh, yes, uh, on, a, on on action for climate change. He noted that hundreds of millions of people suffered in dire poverty in the developing world, asking these co- uh, countries to abandon the cheapest available sources of energy is, at the very least, he said, asking them to delay the conquest of malnutrition, to perpetuate the incidence of preventable disease and to increase the numbers of premature deaths. Global warming orthodoxy is not merely irrational, it is wicked, said uh, Nigel Lawson. Oh, that's a very marginal thing, but aren't we looking potentially at existential threats? <laughs> not much good saying, well, we've... Uh, We've solved a lot of the uh, preventable diseases, but um, your your backyard is an inferno. Mm. We're not going to be able to persuade um, the uh, the poor people of the world to go along with us on this, I'm afraid. Uh, look, it's always going to be the problem. We did look at uh, in in, a, in an episode two weeks ago. We looked at, uh, at the amount of consumption of fossil fuels in the developing world, including India, including China, and really renewables. Um, as a percentage, has really just taken up that uh, that amount of electricity that's now being generated in the world that wasn't being generated twenty years ago. Um, that's the sort of shape of renewables, but it is obviously looming with one point one trillion invested in one year. Now, Jack, the long table. We've uh, often had a bit of a laugh um, and that uh, Vladimir Putin is. Um, 
likes to sit at one end of a very, very long table, which we which we opined was probably suggested it was just out of range of small arms. Uh, you couldn't hit him with a pistol from that from that far away. Or, or, or a Novichek, Novichek chop, <laughs> yes, uh, jab, yeah. you know. Yeah, I can imagine. There'd be three people, be three people uh, tasting his tea every morning. Um, and this has come from a, a whistleblower, Jack. Uh, Putin, who portrays himself in public as a larger-than-life macho leader in the mould of Peter the Great, is privately afraid of many things, uh, feeling surely heightened uh, now that his country is engaged in a full-scale war. Uh, the um, uh, the high-ranking high Kremlin defector, uh, Karakulov, said he had never seen Putin use a cell phone or the internet, uh, leaving, gee, you'd think he'd be in a few chat rooms, wouldn't he, Vladimir? But no, uh, use a cell phone or the internet, uh, leaving him to uh, to rely on his confidence, confidants for information. He avoids flying and instead travels by armoured train because he's worried his plane might be shot down by a missile. They actually can hit trains too, these missiles, Jack. But anyway, uh, Putin is also said to be terrified of catching COVID. We still have an, a self-isolating president, the defector Karakulov said. We have to observe a strict quarantine for two, me- two weeks before any event, even those lasting 15 to 20 minutes. Wow. That's crazy, isn't it? Mm, it's certainly bizarre behaviour, isn't it? It certainly is very strange. And you know you're just not going to get any sort of outdoor, outside advice that way. And indeed, if you do get some, some some advice that you don't like, you're probably going to get rid of it fairly quickly. And I do believe there was another trip and fall accident among um, uh, among uh, one of the former powerful figures in Russia just last week, another oligarch gone to God. Um we, Gee, bad, bad luck seems to follow the round, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, it really is. You know, it, 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 look, it's no laughing matter. I mean, some of the some of the things, some of these state sponsored murders uh, are absolutely appalling, and have involved family members in some instances where young children have been killed, uh, and then uh, explained away as sort of murder suicides. But uh, what is happening in the Ukraine, Jack? It's a bit of a well, you wouldn't call it a lull. Um, but uh, in my reading just recently, uh, it would indicate that um, uh, the Ukrainians are far more confident on the Eastern Front than they were perhaps uh, a month or six weeks ago. Yeah. Um, it, it, if you read the, <laughs> a fair bit of the Western media, you would think that Ukraine, the Ukrainians are winning this pretty comfortably, but it just doesn't seem to be this case. Um Obviously, fierce fighting in and around Bakhmut, um, and uh, with you know, what I meant that it was look more optimistic is that you know, four to six weeks ago, that city looked like it was ready to fall, um, but it seems not to be the case now. Mm. But, uh, the, but the Ukrainians aren't making any ground. They're not. They're, they're not really making I, any ground. We are to push talking that. about a bit of a quagmire, and the thing that may change that, and it's something I've talked about a bit, is the M1 Abrahams tank jack, um, uh, <coughs> which will come into really uh, as we as we enter the uh, enter the uh, European summer, uh, northern summer uh, over the next couple of months. Uh, M1 Abrahams tank will change um, the equation on the battlefield um, faster, more manoeuvrable, longer range. Um, uh, that should make a big change to things. Um, meanwhile, Jack, in foreign currency reporting, 
Have you got a stack of yuan under under the bed, big shoebox full of it? Uh, well, we use the Hong Kong dollar, which is actually pegged to the US dollar. No, yes, it's here, yeah. here in Hong Kong. Yeah. Uh, it's a floating peg, but it's pegged pretty closely to the US yeah. dollar. Yeah. Um, uh, and um, and the the, China, the mainland authorities have been reasonably content for that to continue. There's a, a fair bit of the money that comes out of China comes through Hong Kong, um, uh, including from senior people in the government, etc. Um, uh, and there are conveniences in having a pretty much a dollar-based economy here. Uh, but yes, there are um, uh, some some countries are moving away from the dollar or keen to move away from the dollar. Notably, the Russians are now it's because well, the Russia. Russia's Russia's becoming a, 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 an RMB economy rather than a dollar economy. Uh, look, there's a very good argument to, my, to to be made, and I think this will go on is that, that that Russia is actually a satellite of China. Uh, I think that's kind of where we're heading, um, but but there are developing countries as well that uh, 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 are becoming more dependent on well, we, not not dependent, but are trading uh, and are trading in forex um, uh, using yuan as their base rather than the American dollar, Jack. Yeah, it's it's it, it's still in its early stages, really, and it's going to be interesting to see how this plays out. But something something we will keep it. We will keep an eye on. Well, the, the yuan uh, surpassed the dollar in monthly trading volume in February for the first time. This is according to Bloomberg. And this is this is in this is in Russia. Oh, oh in Russia. Oh, yeah. I see. And the difference became more pronounced in March, according to data compiled by Bloomberg based on daily transaction reports from the Moscow Exchange. Before the invasion, the yuan's trading volume on the Russian market was virtually nothing. Uh, Saudi Arabia announced in January that uh, it was uh, open to settling trades in yuan. Uh, so that brings in some big forex uh, 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 forex transactions there. And Malaysia and China are to have talks on an Asian monetary fund to lessen reliance on the greenback, Jack. Yeah, there hasn't actually been much real trading from Saudi Arabia and the uh, Asian Monetary Fund is still an idea rather than a reality. But uh, as I say, it's something to keep an eye on for the future. Yes, all right. The dollar has maintained dominance as the world's, that's that's the greenback, as the world's reserve currency held in significant quantities by central banks and foreign corporations in order to settle international trade and financial transactions in the eight decades since the end of World War II. The dollar has strengthened over the past several years against other prominent currencies such as the yen and the British pound. Don't want, to get, don't want to invest in that too quickly. And as uh, as other nations struggle to recover from the lockdown-induced recession and surmount, uh, and, and surmount resultant. Uh, yeah, something to watch. Something to watch. Just uh, how big, and of course it's a reflection on the um, Chinese economy. Is it, the, is it the biggest world, is it is it the biggest economy in the world at the moment, Jack? Um, it's no one's really got an accurate answer to that. I think is the answer. Mm. Um, uh, the question is, um, will it be like um, uh, Japan? Japan looked like so it was going to overtake the US economy at one stage and didn't. Um, uh, and, uh, and the question will be with China: Will the same thing happen? China's population is already in decline um, and will decline fairly quickly. Um, uh, over the next fifty years, this is a sort of a, a lag result of the one China yes, policy. The one China, the one China policy, mm. uh, indeed, yes, that that will have social consequences. It was it, it, 
absolutely necessary to do because they needed to reduce their population uh, under the you know, force of things really in the 1990s, but it's going to have profound social consequences as we go forward. All right. Yes. To one of them. Yes, uh, what, what would be a fairly typical example, um, uh, my wife has a, a cousin uh, in, still in living in Nanjing, um, and uh, they have a son. He's now he's about 12, 10 or 12 years of age, um, and he has four grandparents, and he's the sole um, uh, uh progeny of the of the four grandparents yeah, and yeah. and they tend to live to a big age um, and you're going to get to the point where um, and, and and their social security system um, to a large extent resolves re- revolves around um, the the grandchildren looking after the grandparents in in, in this respect but it's going to get expensive if you're the one, if you're the one person with four <laughs> you're grandparents. Actually, you're actually doing it solely. That's right. And, um, and so that's going to have really profound consequences just on aged care in China, which, which be, would be a, a, a huge thing. Obviously, the way it's often portrayed is that, the, uh, is that you've just got uh, some, some obese, um, uh, spoiled children uh, who are now uh, uh, moving into adulthood and are in adulthood, but there's more to it than that. Um, <clears throat> we do have a reader's letter, Jack, from our good friend Lawrence, the farmer. Uh, he got in touch with me over Easter, wishing us both a, a very happy Easter. Um, he did point out something um, that we should really address because it's something we talked about last week, and I believe it's in your Substack as well. Uh, uh, and... Um, uh, where you talked about perhaps a move that from uh, uh, Joe Biden might be to pardon Trump. But uh, as Lawrence pointed out, and I should have pulled you up on this too, um, uh, he's been prosecuted under state law. So the presidential pardons can only relate to federal offences. I believe that's right, Jack. That, that's correct. Um, uh, the... the the New York prosecution is a bit of a hybrid thing as it relies upon um, an intent to commit a federal offence. Right. Uh, it's, un- it's unclear as to how far a-, a federal pardon would affect that. None of these things have ever been tested. There's never been any cases about presidential pardons, really, or nothing in living memory. Um, uh, uh, my piece was a little bit tongue-in-cheek. I, I said that if, if Joe Biden wanted to get rid of Trump from politics, the best yeah, thing yeah. he could do Tactically, would, be, it makes would, a lot would, of sense. would be to pardon him. But I didn't think Joe Biden would do that because Joe Biden needs Trump in the game so That's that he can stay what we've just been talking about, yeah. yeah. Um, uh, uh, that, that, uh, that, that he knows he can beat Trump but he's not sure about the others. So yeah. removing him from the scene might not be all that smart. But... Um, uh, uh, yeah, look, it, yeah, yeah, it, it, it is, uh, it is something that uh, that I saw in an iPad um, uh, just uh, just in the Australian last week, Jack. So I think someone might have been having a look at your Substack just quietly. Oh, I can't remember who I, I can't remember who wrote the piece, but it was uh, I think it might be a Wall Street Journal job. Anyway, so, so suggesting exactly what you had suggested. Um, but uh, but Lawrence points out that it's probably not very likely. But the interesting thing, Jack, that uh, I did want to draw your attention to is that Lawrence is, uh, want, wanted to talk about the NDIS because we talked about in a previous episode where, you know, funds are starting to really sort of spiral out of control. But Lawrence had an experience of the NDIS. He said he had a farm accident in 2010, which left him with an amputation below the knee of uh, his left leg 
and some other ongoing issues. At rehab, I was provided a basic prosthetic leg through a New South Wales government scheme called Enable, and this support was continued until the NDIS was created. He was, and I'm swapping pronouns, uh, he was transitioned to the new scheme within a couple of months, as he thought many were, uh, as the state governments jettisoned as many of their clients as they could to the new scheme. That's an interesting thing, isn't it? My experiences with the NDIS have been very positive, he says. It's allowed me to return to the farm as owner-manager and continue to contribute to various volunteer positions in the community. I would add that perhaps the scheme is a bit too gold-plated, he says, with its desire to meet every possible need of the clients. There is always unspent funds in his plan, which he assumes are included in the NDIS budget's bottom line spend. I'd also point out I wouldn't be adverse to the scheme being means-tested if it meant some of the higher-needs clients I met in my time at rehab got a better deal. Good comments. Yeah, yeah, and I think I think we said last week that whenever you introduce these schemes, um, it's just human nature that there will be a few people who will be um, rotting them. Mm-hmm. Um, and once you've introduced them, then you've got to go circle back uh, after a couple of years and look at uh, look at where the gaps and the holes are and fix those and, and tighten things up where you need to. And that's what needs to happen with the NDIS. And I believe that's what Bill Shilton's supposed to be doing. Yes, but interesting, isn't it, that uh, in in Lawrence's uh, experience that that the state government had some responsibilities that are just quickly flicked away. Yeah, this this is common. Um, uh, I can remember when Victoria introduced its its accident compensation scheme to to virtually uh, – to to take over the private workers' compensation insurers – um, uh, and their liabilities. Yeah. Uh, 4 p.m. on the 31st of August um, uh, 1985, and we all know the time and the date because any accident before or after that, before that was on the old workers' comp board and after it was on the um, the new new procedure. Mm. Uh, and I can tell you that all of the workers' compensation insurers, insurers quickly shifted as many of their people onto the new scheme as it was possible. Yeah, that's right. It's just it's incredible, incredible how um, what we might call sort of intensely intricate bureaucratic organisations can just shuffle things away in the space yeah. of a couple of hours. Um, and, and, to, and, and to have expected anything else would have been not to understand human nature. Now, uh, a couple of untimely, well, sad, sad moments anyway, um, uh deaths of two very prominent Australians. Bruce Hay, uh, the um, uh, diplomat, career diplomat, uh, and also uh, a a friend of yours, Jack, at uh, at the uh, Refugee Review Tribunal. He uh, sat on matters there too. But um, uh, his um, uh, advocacy and um, uh, as a diplomat, he was based in South Africa for a while and he befriended it. Uh, the young leader, probably one of the great, um, one of the great apartheid activists, certainly up there with Nelson Mandela in many ways, Steve Biko, uh, <coughs> um, famously helped to smuggle um, a, a journalist who was under the pump from the apartheid regime, Donald Woods, out of the country, and uh, and Hay had played a significant role in that. Um, and uh, it's all part of uh, a, of a very profound history, and actually 
became a film, the 1987 uh, film Cry Freedom. So Bruce Bruce has been a, a, a career diplomat, as I say, a member of the Refugee Review Tribunal, a political activist. I can tell you uh, I knew him reasonably well to have beers with. He's a lovely fellow. Uh, he didn't... Uh, he didn't enjoy um, uh, uh, conservative governments very much. He uh, made them. <laughs> he was uh, very, very critical of John Howard, very critical of Tony Abbott, and very critical of Malcolm Turnbull, for that matter. Um, yeah, he, he was a nice fellow, Bruce. Um, he didn't have a kind of a – his politics were a bit of a moving feast. He gradually got lefter and lefter as he got older. I've got to say I've got to admire that. Because the the traditional well beaten path, Jack, is, uh, and some of them end up uh, go so nuts they might even try on the uniforms on uh, in the evening. But I do, I do love he became more and more left as he got older, and I did notice that. You'd I'd see him on Twitter. Also enjoyed his company for for a few beers on a number of occasions. Uh, good fellow and a great contributor, a great public servant of this country. He passed away uh, over the Easter weekend. Uh, Vale, Bruce Hay. And yeah, another yeah, Bruce Jack, luck. sorry, uh, another Bruce Jack, Bruce Petty, the great cartoonist. And uh, there was a, a wonderful uh, obituary in, uh, from Alan Howe, which I'll read in part, um, uh, 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 <laughs> Uh, where uh, Bruce Petty was a cartoonist at the Australian. He'd been sort of around the traps and he started at the board. Uh, uh, and it was around about that time uh, uh, when he was at the board and that the masthead changed for Australia for the white man, Jack. Uh, we forget the board. It was a little bit odd in many respects. And three men, Alan Howe contends, were responsible for the change of that. One was Rupert Murdoch, the second one, Maxwell Newton, and the third, the great cartoonist, Bruce Petty. Um, and they were all sort of similar age, um, uh, those three. Um, Petty blazed a trail followed by the greats of this country's newspaper cartooning, including Larry Pickering, Bill Mitchell, Peter Nicholson, John Spooner, Bill Leake, and, uh, and of course, uh, Bill's uh, son, Johannes. Um, uh, Petty's definitive cartoon was published on Saturday, April 26, 1969, around the, the nation's Anzac Day marches. Um, and at the centre of the cartoon was the image of an outsized, dead, mutilated digger, marches much smaller than the main figure approached, skirted, and then march away from his body, barely glancing at it, Jack. But he had this wonderful sort of scrawling style of cartooning. Uh, one of our one of our best. There's absolutely no doubt, and a gentleman to boot, Jack. Yeah, never knew him, but uh, but I love his cartoons. Yes, yeah, so a great loss to the cartooning world. And I know uh, a number of the cartoonists. In fact, it was uh, Mike Bowers who drew it to my attention, and uh, yeah, we uh, we agreed that he was one of our great great cartoonists. And 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 just to put it in some sort of context, if you're a great Australian cartoonist, you are a great cartoonist. We have a very profound history of excellent cartooning in this country. Political a cartooning. A long history of excellent cartooning. Oh, uh, absolutely. And Australian cartooning is quite different to the, the, the stuff you might see in Europe, for example. The, the, the European cartoons will make a point. Um, uh, and and <clears throat> Uh, Australian cartoons will make points too, but they will make you laugh first. That's the difference. So you often see a lot of European cartooning is very grim, 
Um, <clears throat> but uh, the idea of being a great political cartoonist in this country is to get away a good gag every day. Hard, to, hard thing to do. Vale Bruce Petty and Bruce Hay, for that matter. Jack, the AFL, you have a look at the have a look at the ladder and have a look at the, the top eight. Well, what's going on there? Well, I had a look at it and thought, who had the top five teams uh, on the ladder being all Melbourne teams on their, on their bingo card, you know? Well, my uh, sporting um, uh, my, my sporting soothsaying hasn't been all that flashjack because I predicted St Kilda would finish on the bottom and here we are four rounds in and they haven't had a loss on top of the ladder. The Blues next after a somewhat shaky win against North Melbourne. They should have really punished North, but they didn't. They let them off in the last 10 minutes. Melbourne look very good, Jack. They do. They do. But uh, it's going to, be, going to be an interesting season. It's it's unusual. Um, and, and you look at oh, the Bombers, your mob, are going pretty well as well. Um, I don't know that they've played too much yet. I mean, you could say the same thing about the Blues too. Yeah. Um, and, and we'll see how we go there. But... Uh, uh, I did say uh, did see Jake Stringer uh, let loose with a torp from um, uh, on the run on the run torp from about sixty five and uh, drilled it through. I think that was at the G um, <laughs> against the Giants. Um, so they're going pretty well. Um, they were looking pretty gr- things were looking pretty grim at Essendon at uh, at the end of last year. The mass resignations and sackings and. Then they brought in a new coach who's obviously going to play a good style of footy. Yeah. Um, how well that will go, as, as a St Kilda mate of mine said, um, uh, they look so much better, um, the game plan looks better, etc. Whether this, this will, might unravel a bit against the better side, we don't know. But, you know, they're, Mel- they're feeling good about themselves at the moment. Melbourne look like the emerging, you know, look, look like the strong side. They, they have lost one game, but they've belted everybody else. Mm-hmm. Collingwood... Uh, came up against the Brisbane Lions on the weekend. Oh, in fact, that was the Thursday night game. And they're struggling with their ruck. They don't, they don't have a ruck at the moment. And um, and that means they're just not getting enough clearances. And that's what's crueling them at the moment. Um, and who looks the worst of them, Jack? Hawthorne? Oh. Eagles? Yeah, hard to know. Eagles, Hawthorne? Well, Eagles yeah. got a, North, a North proper belting on the weekend. Uh, North are playing decent footy. I've watched them closely against Carlton. They're a very good contested footy side. Um, they might they might lack a bit down back. They certainly were outgunned um, in defence. Their, their, their two best defenders were were missing. Yeah, they're missing a couple, missing missing a couple, including Harry's twin brother, um, Harry Mackay's twin brother, but um, uh, and and probably lack a little bit of polish. Uh, up forward as well, and their their gun forward who's kicked a few goals uh, this season uh, had a had a had a pretty bad cork and and uh, uh, didn't have much impact on the game after that. Um, but at the was, contest, was, they're very good. I was talking to a north north fellow. Um, uh, he was here in Hong Kong. Um, uh, I saw him on Sunday, and he said uh, he'd ponied up the last few years for tickets to Marvel for their home games. And he said, "At least now we don't feel like leaving at halftime." <laughs> no, they're having a dip uh, and playing a new game plan, new coach, um, a, a developing list. You know they're going to go missing every now and then, yeah. Um, and that's that's what happens with emerging sites. But they are on the way up uh, in the NRL. Jack, uh, the Raiders. They won two last year, and they might win half a dozen this year. Yeah, 
yeah, that's the sort of progress you'd expect. Um, uh, we'll see how the, the Saints go and the Bombers and the Blues for that matter. Um, Raiders uh, in the NRL uh, uh, beats. They, they, they think they chalked up their first win for the game, the Raiders. Uh, they're still second bottom, but they beat the undefeated Broncos and Storm are third after belting the Roosters when everyone said the Storm were done and dusted. So plenty of... Uh, Plenty of surprises there. Um, and in the Premier League, Jack, we've got an emerging situation here. Um, uh, Arsenal and Arsenal are on top of the Premier League. Man City, six points adrift. Um, they worked, I think, uh, I think it was eight or nine points in front, but Arsenal drew two all against Liverpool. They were lucky not to go down, actually, uh, and all praise to their goalkeeper who kept a couple of uh, late shots out from Liverpool. They were two, two, two zip up and Liverpool came back, missed a penalty and, and then uh, evened up. And Man City beat uh, their away winner Southampton 4-1. Uh, so Man City, six points adrift. On the, on the, they, they play each other in 16 days' time at Etihad Stadium in Manchester. And that will probably decide who wins the Premier League. Uh, the bookies have got Man City as the favourites because they have won a lot of uh, titles in the last five years and often coming from behind. And also, Jack, the stall gift was run and won. Um, and 141st stall gift, Jack. Been around for a while, hasn't it? It and it was won by a couple of teenagers. It used to be such a big thing, the stall gift. Um, uh, you know, the money was good, um, uh, a hell of a lot of interest in it, um, but it's sort of faded, hasn't it, really? Has a bit. Um, look, those are the days, you know, when you'd have professional and amateur athletes, right? So, and there were all sorts of skullduggery going on, folks running dead and all this sort mm. of stuff in order to get their prices up so they might qualify and get through. The worst thing you could do was win. I remember yeah. uh, a colleague of the old man's, Brendan Matthews. You remember Herbie? You ever remember, mm. remember Herbie Matthews? He was a great sprinter and um, and uh, he uh, – well, I don't want to put him in too much trouble, but uh, there were a couple of times there you could see him almost running backwards. Yeah, well, the first bloke to win two, uh, a bloke called Bill Howard, um, uh, uh, I think he was 20 when he won his first one um, and he was a – a bank teller with our auntie, um, auntie Biddy at the CNBC, uh, the commercial banking company of Sydney and Wodonga. Um, and uh, he won the first one with a broken bone in his foot and had one more run the next year um, just to qualify uh, and then came and won the second one, uh, both under 12 seconds. Um, and there was so much money in the store gift in those days. He was uh, at 21 years of age. He was able to buy himself a really nice family home, and within a couple of years, he'd retired from the bank and turned himself into an accountant and lived a good, a good and long life after that. Ah, uh, yes, and of course he would life have would have collected a, a fair bit. I mean, I think there's a forty thousand uh, $40,000 prize handed out yesterday, but it was, you know, uh, it, it, it probably, um, pound, for, pound for pound has changed a bit, but most of the winnings had come from through the bookies' bags. Yeah, but even then, um, his winnings were enough to buy a house in Wodonga and 40000 wouldn't buy you a house in Wodonga today. No, it would not. So things have changed a little bit. But all the same, lovely to see 18-year-old Ryan Tarrant, who's been spending a bit of time with the Bombers, Jack. He won uh, He won yesterday uh, just over 12 seconds. And and uh, Bella Pascali 
She was just 16. She won the women's gift um, and uh, and both of them picked up the prizes there. And I think both of them are connected to uh, the Bombers there too. So yeah. there you go, mate. Uh, now, global warming and sport, I did hear this on um, uh, Radio National, um, uh, uh, this uh, discussion about how uh, global warming was – and a study uh, conducted with Major League Baseball uh, yeah, this f- is the American Meteorological Society. Yes. Um, and and uh, there's a whole lot of detail about it, but in short order, what they're, what they're saying is that with increasing temperatures, with global warming, there's going to be more home runs hit. That's right. And you see, you've got the MLB, Jack, which has got this profound database of statistics. There is no game more statistically analysed than, than baseball, Major League Baseball. Um, and so, yes, we are saying um, uh, the American Meteorological Society are expecting um, uh, an increase of 10% in, in all home runs. So it used to be steroids, Jack, but now, now it's because we have warmer air. The ball will go, the ball will go further. The well, study that'll, be t- at, that'll be good for T twenty. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Yes, well, I guess it's the same physics at work here. Cricket ball's a bit heavier. Uh, the study looked at more than a hundred thousand MLB games and two hundred twenty thousand individual hits. Uh, in association with unseasonably warm temperatures. The results showed a spike in home runs in games played during the day with clear weather compared to games played at night and in domes. All I say about that, Jack, is what it tells you is that (laughs) MLB, Major League Baseball, is the most statistic-heavy sport there is. Cricket's getting there, but... uh, uh, they've got a long way to go to get up to uh, to, to baseball. And, Jack, take well, us well, out. What well, else have we got? Well, well, here's a tip. John Buchanan should go over to the Major League Baseball. <laughs> well, I think uh, the late, great SK Warren would have quite enjoyed him disappearing from uh, the Australian coaching duties. <laughs> so, so there is that. Take us out, Jack, with something odd that you've seen. Ah, yes. Um, um, you remember the movie Grease? You know, uh, yeah, not a fan. Of, no, no, not, 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 not. Musicals aren't my genre, but I know the movie, of course. Yeah, yeah. Love the lovely Livy and, uh, and and John Travolta. And John Travolta. They're going to do a TV reboot of Grease. Ooh. Uh, but this will see the classical musical um, centre itself around a multicultural, all-female lineup to explore sexual orientation, gender expression, and racial identity. Family favourite tunes will be re-sung alongside new musical numbers, including one about white supremacy, while the 1950 student population at Rydell High School will be refilled with a mix, a varied mix of LGBT and black high schoolers unseen in the 1978 hit. Well, I can only say, I, I doubt this will be screened in Florida, Jack, I, 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 and, and almost certainly banned from television screens in Mississippi. It will, it will, um, it will end up like the, the the reboot of Ghostbusters with the all women crew. It'll sink without trace. <laughs> to be fair, though, Jack, it probably wouldn't have got our money anyway um, no. if, uh, if if it was just a remake of the classic. All right. Well, that takes us through, Jack, uh, to the end of the program. Uh, we uh, we know we took up a fair bit of time talking about The Voice and its many political implications, and we'll continue to do that. It is the one big issue now uh, in Australian politics. 
um, and uh, we'll keep you appraised of all the changes as they go. Thank you for your time today, Hong Kong Jack. Um, Cheers, mate. Uh, and uh, and uh, we'll look forward, to, uh, listeners, to uh, to bringing the program to you again next week. And we just simply want to add, uh, if you do want to contribute to the program, uh, criticisms, comments, anything you like, uh, drop us a line um, uh, on the conditional release program. It's got a the in front of it, at gmail.com. <coughs> or indeed, you can uh, hit me up through my Twitter DMs or you can get uh, Hong Kong Jack on your Substack. Jack, how's that work? Yeah. Hong Kong Jack Substack.com. There you go. Thanks, listeners, and we'll talk to you next week.